Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Toda Menina Baina from Eliane Elias. And you're listening to me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM's Jazz Shapers every Saturday morning from 9 till 10. You can join me to listen to people who are shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. I'm very luckily joined today by Chris Galvin, the famous restaurateur and chef. And you will be hearing lots from Chris very shortly. In addition to that, you'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And on top of all of that, of course, a tasty mix of music from the shapers of jazz, soul and blues, including Esperanza Spalding, Howling Wolf, and this, one of my father's first pieces of vinyl, it's Dave Brubeck's Take 5. That was Dave Brubeck and Take 5. As I promised earlier, my business shaper today is Chris Galvin. And Chris is an eminent chef, as I said, and also a very well-known restaurateur with a number of restaurants around London and more recently Edinburgh, which we're going to be talking about. Chris, thank you very much for joining me. When did you start knowing you were going to be a chef? When did you start getting the cooking bug? Um... Probably around the age of eight or nine, um, Elliot. I loved watching my nan cook. My nan was always an amazing cook. She had ten children, and I think sort of thirty-six cousins. We always used to meet round my nan's on a Saturday, and she always cooked for all of us. And I was probably one of the only ones who wasn't sort of rioting round her garden. She had a beautiful wartime garden where she was growing gooseberries, potatoes, rhubarb. And so I, I loved helping her sort of tend the garden, but more importantly, I, I was always in the kitchen with her, helping feed the, the 5,000. And what were you doing when you were eight or nine? Because I have a nine-year-old son who loves cooking as well. Chopping? What was it? I mean, what was going on? Did she let you go near the hot water? Um, no, no, she was very clever. She was sort of pastry. She, she was very famous for apple pies and tarts and jams that she used to make. So the third thing, you know, she always taught us about the lightness and the speed you had to work with pastry. And... Uh, and, and it's true, you know, even today in our kitchens, there's certain people that are brilliant working with pastry and those that are not. And uh, you've got to be have a light touch and cool fingers. And so Nan taught me that. So definitely Nan helped me. And then at school, you know, I was very lucky um, being the age I am. They used to teach people to cook at school, which is slowly coming back um, in, into vogue. And they realise, you know, we need to know about what we're, we're eating and, and, and what we're cooking. So I love cooking at school. And then at 15 years old, famously, I started washing up for Anthony Worrell Thompson. Now, what was his restaurant then? Where, where was he at that point? Um, Anthony was at a restaurant in Brentwood in Essex on Shenfield Common called uh, Ye Old Log. He was the number two chef, or sous chef as we call it now. Um, the head chef was, uh, he was mid-60s he was on his last legs literally um amazing chef from a savoy in those days you could smoke in the kitchen so he used to have a great big fag on in the kitchen 
Um, but Tony was, uh, or Anthony, I remember him as Tony, Anthony was always wanting to uh, introduce new dishes, new technology, new ways of serving. And in those days, all the fil- food went onto a silver, and then a waiter dressed the dish. And then I remember Anthony said, look, Chris, chefs are starting to put it on a plate before it goes in the room. So he would often try and get rid of the chef on a Saturday night so we could test out these new, it was Nouvelle Cuisine, 1975. And uh, we got in a hell of a mess because we couldn't keep up with the restaurant. <laughs> so, uh, but they were um, halcyon days. I loved working for Anthony. He's very inventive and, uh, you know, to this day he's always in- encouraged me. Stay with me for lots more from my business shaper, Chris Galvin. Time for some music. This is Gin House Blues from Nina Simone. was Nina Simone and Gin House Blues apt or not I don't know we'll find out in a bit Chris Galvin is my business shaper and if I didn't mention that some of the names is restaurants I was remiss in doing so Galvin La Chapelle Galvin at Windows um, the lovely cafe which I was talking about just before we, we, we started talking earlier um, Chris which is the, the Café Auvin uh, and, and, and a few others as well not to mention the Galvin Bistro Deluxe which I believe was actually their very your very first solo venture in 2005 we'll come to those shortly now you make Chinanchi Worrell Thompson. You then, I believe, after some, a stint with him uh, over there, you went to join the Conran restaurants and were, were an important part, was an important part of Mezzo and Bluebird. New, and you said Nouveau, you mentioned before Nouveau Cuisine was coming to the fore back in the 70s. You're now in the 80s and you're starting to, I imagine, be able to experiment on your own watch. What was that like in those formative days at Bluebird? Um, well, they were quite amazing. I always... Um it's it's a funny, uh, you know. I, I believe in circles in life, and uh, at sixteen in in Romford, you know, I'm an Essex boy. Um, Terence Conran, for some mad reason, opened a beautiful Habitat store. And normally in Romford, when a kid my age went shopping, you had three store detectives following <laughs> you. And uh, but for the first time ever, you could go in the store. The smells of a hessian, the leather, the sandalwood, the walnut. I'll never forget that. And uh, I picked up a book in his shop, which was uh, Cuisine Gourmand, translated by his then wife, Caroline Comran. And that was, you know, the Bible on Nouvelle Cuisine. And so when I finally got to meet Terence, which was a dream, you know, he'd opened Pont de la Tour, you know, he turned restoration, you know, on its head in Britain. He brought it to the masses. So I was uh, so happy to be working with him. But he was, you know, he's very forthright in his views and how he wanted things. So, he's, you know, I took a bit of a risk introducing dishes. And um, I opened Mezzo in Soho, which was mad. It was an aircraft hangar of a restaurant. Enormous. 800 covers on a Saturday night. But I knew that he wanted to open a very special restaurant in North London, which he called Bibendum of the North, which was a restaurant called Orrery which Jonathan Ross has murders getting his, his tongue around. But, <laughs> he just uh, doesn't get to book anything. He never says he gets someone else to do that for him. Yeah, so just before I opened that, I spent 28 years, I used to write to all the best restaurants in France and go and ask to work for a week, and that's called a stagiaire. You go and work for, for free. And um, 
I, I said to Terence before I open Orrery, I need to go and work around France. I want to spend a few weeks there. And he said, well, we don't have that time. You can have a week in Paris and ten lunches, as ten, uh, five lunches, five dinners, so ten, ten meals in a week. I came back and he said, right, you can help open Bluebird before Orrery. And so I, I realised that's why he didn't want me disappearing. And it was amazing. You know, Chelsea is a, an incredible place to open a restaurant. It was uh, huge in that they wanted to have a big supermarket downstairs with um, fine foods. We had a huge brasserie. We had a uh, big crustacea, a club. And uh, it was very interesting being part of that. But I couldn't wait really to get into the small, you know, 70-seat restaurant and show Terence what I could do. So... We gained the first ever Michelin star for uh, Conran restaurants while we were there. I was there five years, and uh, they were amazing days. I love working with Terence. It was ten years in all I spent with him. Find out lots more post the Conran, Terence Conran stories from my business shape today, Chris Galvin. Latest travel in a couple of minutes, but before that, some words of wisdom for your business from our programme partners at Mishkondorea. My name is Andrew Remington, and I'm a corporate partner at Mishkondorea. Uh, Very often, uh, the key uh, component that makes deals uh, last the test of time is when you start a transaction with trust and credibility on both sides. Very often, people will um, be very reluctant to disclose the key issues that are relevant for them, but I find that actually having a very forthright discussion at the outset of a meeting can help set the ground rules very early on. Uh, Let me give you an example. If a transaction has both strengths and weaknesses, and let's face it, what doesn't, which should you deliver first, the strengths or the weaknesses? Surprisingly, the answer to that is that if you have weaknesses to disclose, the body of evidence suggests that actually by uh, empathising with the other person's position and identifying that there are concerns that they may well have as a legitimate third party, by addressing those issues first shows not only trustworthiness and credibility in negotiations, but also shows that you have empathy towards their position. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, every Saturday morning from 9am till 10am. I'm usually joined by a brilliant business shaper. If you've missed any of my previous ones, go into iTunes and put in the words Jazz and Shapers, you'll find them there. Uh, British Airways is also a place where you can catch some of the best guests that I've had over the last few years, as well as ft.com and cityam.com. You fancy tweeting me today, the Twitter handle is at jazzfm, and we'll try and get back to you. Chris Galvin is my business shaper, the chef and now restaurateur, um, and many things as well it sounds like you're into chris not just as you said um food but but culture in general because you were talking before about you said the hessian and the feel and you 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 talked about um enjoying the way that those conran that conran shop when it first arrived suddenly you know the impression that it gave you you you've talked about learning great things from all these people and it, it it strikes me that Often chefs, especially brilliant ones, creative ones that go and do their own things, are pretty single-minded. They're pretty individualistic, even though they have to run big teams. And yet there's a lot of humility coming out from the thing you're saying, I learnt this and I learnt that. Is that what you try to instil in the people that work for you? Because you must see some young yous all the time. Absolutely. I see them all around, Elliot. Yes. Uh, so I shouldn't treat a business like, uh, like a hobby or a school, but I do. And I see lots of people, you know, when you're young and on the way up, you just want the chance, you know, you want a break. And so uh, we don't have any locks on any of our um, 
doors, drawers, uh, and so everyone can see the figures. They can see how we're performing, where we're going. We invite the young chefs, young managers. They come to a P&L once a month, and we show them, yeah, you can have a packed restaurant, but at the end of it, the bottom it's, line... It's a business. It's a business, and the bottom line is uh, critical for them to keep cooking for another year or two years. So um, we're constantly teaching... Um, all the young people in our business and older people, you know, it's uh, whoever wants to learn, whoever wants to listen, and uh, some you win, some you don't. We also have our own charity, the Galvin Chance, which helps uh, young kids, uh, you know, at 16 to 18, they're on life's scrap heap. And so, front of house, you know, unlike Jamie Oliver, where uh, Jamie gets the kids, he's done an amazing job at 15. Um, puts them in a the kitchen. We put them in front of the house where it's smart. They can meet customers that have, are self-made and, and we get them to talk to customers. And have you enjoyed all the... I mean, obviously, you must still love being in, in the kitchen, I'm guessing, but do you, do you, you sound like you enjoy these other elements, which is bringing on great talent, giving disadvantaged kids the chance to do stuff, showing them the whole piece. That transparency thing is really important for people to learn. Do you like it as much as actually creating a brand-new dish that no one's ever seen before, or is it a different kind of buzz for you? I love all parts of it. You know, I feel like a puppy. You know, someone recently said to me, you know, and I love it, you know, coming up to 56, someone said we actually have two lives. One ends at 49, 50, and then a second life starts. So oh, Good, uh, I'm pleased. That's, <laughs> that's good news. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel like a puppy. I've just been cooking for lunch today. I cooked last night. I probably cook four times a week in the restaurants now, if I'm absolutely honest. But I'm always dabbling. I love picking up knives. But I like making the sort of books balance. I like teaching front of house. I love the uh, design of a restaurant. Our middle brother goes to the market every night. He buys our flowers and uh, fruit, vegetables. So I love to you know be touching every part of our business. It's, it's critical that I do that. And, you know, I think it's infectious. I think if you're uh, motivated and you're excited about what you do, and it is true, you know, do something you love and you never work again. Stay with me to hear much more from the man who obviously loves what he's doing. Time for some music. This is Precious from Esperanza Spalding. That was Precious from Esperanza Sporting. Chris Galvin is my business shaper and an incredibly passionate and articulate one too. The, the, the boy from Essex, as you described yourself before, has, has sort of made good somewhat. You're now serving food to some of the um, the most well-heeled people around town. Does it? Do you ever... Have you become them or us? Was there ever a them or us? Do you ever think about the upstairs, downstairs thing where I'm doing this and now they're there, but I could be over... I mean, what is... Is there anything going on like that? Or is it just, I want to make great food, I don't care who eats it? Because your food is not cheap. No, well, there's always an entry point, Elliot. I come from nothing. You know, we come from a gutter. We, our father disappeared when we was 15. We were incredibly... We we weren't very well off before when my dad was there. When he left, we were in big trouble. You know, and our first Christmas... We had a charity drop some wooden toys off on our doorstep, which I've never, ever forgotten. Um, but fortunately, what my dad get, did give me, he was um, he was very left-wing. He was very much uh, a man for the people, and so, which I am. You know, I'm a quite... You know, Marco Pierre White taught me, you know, you need a socialist heart and a capitalist head. And that was great advice. So 
I do feel for young couples, young people trying, you know, who want to come to the restaurant. You know, you can eat in the bistro for three courses, nineteen fifty. Uh, uh, Plat du jour, £14.50. Uh, at Windows, I think we have about 50 bottles of wine under 30 quid, and we have to work hard to find those. And you can eat 25 quid, you know, you can be a top of the world eating free courses. Mm. So I'm a huge believer in value. I think a Rolls Royce is value for money. And that, I think you're right, and it depends exactly how you define what value is to that individual. But that socialist um, heart and the capitalist head has obviously stood you in good stead. I mean, we haven't, I haven't looked at your books, but I imagine you're still making good money, and that carries on. Are there recipes within that success that you continue to drive? And if, if there are, what are they? Um, well, lead by example... Um involve everybody you know everyone to share in the successes and the, and the defeats you know it's critical but I'm, I'm as I'm as good as the worst person in our operation and so my job is to lift the, the, the very lower levels of our business you know um, is, is to lift a team look at every single product and touch everything you know is I was very lucky when I worked with um, Jeremy King and Chris Corbyn when we opened the Worsley um, they taught me, you know, clearly, I, I said in, in our book that we wrote, um, a cookbook deluxe, that that was the SAS of being a restaurateur, working with those two guys, and they taught me everything must bear scrutiny. Tablecloth, knives, forks, lighting, plates, lighting, colour, cafe cobbers, lovely, Delaunay's lovely, I mean, these they guys, are the masters. They know what they're doing. And I had two amazing years with, with, with them, and uh, I owe a lot to them, so... You know, I, I, I work with the very best people I could find, and so we do our very best. We can always do better, but, we, but we're very open, Elliot. We're very, uh, you know, end of shift reports is uh, warts and all, and so no one's scared to say a customer didn't like this, he didn't like that. All that's important is that we fix it and improve it, and uh, we make sure it's better next day. Last chat, my final chat, unfortunately, coming up with Chris uh, in a few minutes. Plus, we're going to be playing a track from Shaper of the Blues, Howlin' Wolf. That's coming up after the latest traffic and travel here on Jazz FM. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. That was Smokestack Lightning from Howling Wolf. Just for a few more minutes, I have Chris Galvin, my business shaper. The restaurant list, and I probably should have read it much earlier on, the restaurant list is ridiculous. I'm going to just embarrass Chris for a little bit. Um, the Wolseley he mentioned earlier, Mezzo he mentioned earlier, Bluebird, uh, Ménage à Trois, La Chapelle, Galvin Café, Galvin Demoiselle, The Pompadour by Galvin, Galvin Brasserie Deluxe as a theme, isn't there? Um, amazing, amazing amounts of restaurants, and you do seem to strike it right each time. But the core of what you do, as you said, excellence and always looking for the better thing and a certain style of, of preparing food, they must remain, I imagine. But the critical thing is to continue to infuse it with new influences and new people. That sounds like it's what's going to keep you going over the next few years as you continue to shape the, the, the restaurant business. Yeah, absolutely. L London is, um, I was too young for the 60s. Uh, you know, I, I used to hate as I grew up, everyone telling me what an amazing time the 60s were. Well, I was just a bit too young, so I missed it. And now I'm too old. But I think that the uh, the noughties, where we are now, are 
better than the 60s. You know, I worked in New York uh, in 1986, and if I'd had a proper visa, I'd never have come back because <laughs> I loved it. But um, people over the years have said that Britain, you know, London is the new epicentre of gastronomy. It wasn't true. It is now. London's exploded, and there's so many young guns in town cooking amazing food. Londoners are so lucky uh, as to the offers out there, and you've got to keep on it. And our problem is you, you create a special dish, but, of course, it moves on. It's like fashion. But then, dare you take it off because you have a lot of let, you know letters from customers saying, "Oh, don't take that dish off." So, you walk a, a fine path, but you've definitely got to keep up to speed with what's going on. Absolutely right. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Um, my song choice uh, for this morning, Alec, is uh, Jamie Cullen, "Fascinating Rhythm," and uh, I chose this because we had a very high-profile customer. He had his uh, retirement party with us at Le Chapelle. And one of his friends, very close friends, Jamie Cullen, he actually walked through La Chapelle into the cafe, sat down at the piano and knocked this out. And I have to say, you know, his voice is heaven sent. It's like silk. The hairs, hairs went up on my arms. And we actually had a flash mob, you know, being in Spitalfield, which was, was quite frightening. You know, once people heard he sang four or five songs, but he made the percussion himself on the side of the piano and... Uh, his voice was just so sweet. I'll never, ever forget this song that he sang. And then afterwards, he, was, he gave everything. He was slumped against the wall outside. And uh, my wife, Sarah, she went round. I, I said, I'd get Jamie a glass of water. And she said, would you like a glass of water? And he said, yeah. He said, well, hold on. And he said, I'll just have a scotch. Forget the water. <laughs> that's jazz. That is jazz. Thank you very much, Chris, for being my business shaper. Uh, this is Fascinating Rhythm for Fantastic Reasons by Jamie Cullum. Got a little rhythm, a rhythm, a rhythm that pitter pats through my brain. So darn persistent, the day isn't distant when it'll drive me insane. That was Fascinating Rhythm from Jamie Cullum, the song choice of my business shaper today, Chris Galvin, the restaurateur. What a lovely, kind, positive man. A man who talked about being in touch with every part of the business and right at the core of him was a socialist heart but a capitalist head. Do join me again, same time, same place, for another edition of Jazz Shapers. That's nine o'clock every Saturday morning. In the meantime, though, stay with us here on Jazz FM. Coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM in partnership with Mish Rea. It's business, but it's personal.